0: One of the most feared nations in history was the Mongol Empire. The Mongol Empire, they they were feared by just about everyone. In fact, few nations and armies could resist them. At one time, the Mongols ruled over an area of land as large as Africa. But it wasn't their success in war that caused people to fear them. It was how the Mongols waged those wars. They were known as a fierce, bloodthirsty, and unforgiving group. Although many times their army was smaller in number than their enemies, the Mongols effectively used propaganda to spread fear and terror to their enemies. They would spread rumors exaggerating the size of their own army. They would allow the news of their brutality to spread. And any city or people that resisted them were viciously slaughtered. Anyone who escaped the slaughter was often sold into slavery or enslaved by the Mongols, and few people ever escaped these fates. One of the rare survivors, he wrote how he felt when he first heard that the Mongol army was coming, and this is what he said. Hearing this, my hair stood on end. My body shivered with fear. My tongue stuttered miserably, for I saw that the inevitable moment of dreadful death was menacing me. I already beheld my murderers in my mind's eye, and my body exuded the cold sweat of death. Does that sound like someone who is afraid? The Mongol conquest took the lives of millions of people, and some have estimated that the Mongols reduced the world population of their day by up to 11%. You see, the Mongols knew that if they were feared, that alone would prevent many of their enemies from putting up much of a fight. Because that's what fear often does to people. It it paralyzes us. It causes us to lose focus on reality and it turns us into quitters instead of victors even before the battle takes place. Last week as a church, we we're studying the book of Joshua, and I mentioned very briefly a time in Israel's history when the Israelites were afraid. Moses sent 12 spies to check out the promised land before they entered into it. And when the spies came back, this is what 10 of those spies reported to the people. They said this about the inhabitants in the promised land they said that the inhabitants were powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. They said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. And in fear, the majority of the Israelites, they gave up without ever even entering the land. They were quitters. They were defeated by enemies without even facing them course, some of us are familiar with the story and the fact that two of those spies chose not to give into fear. One of them was named Joshua. And after 40 years of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness as a consequence for giving into fear and unbelief, now Joshua is going to lead them into the promised land. So this morning we're going to turn to Joshua chapter 2 together. I encourage you to take out a Bible if you have one. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the chairs in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 170. Page 170, Joshua chapter 2. And this morning, we're going to be addressing the question, whom shall we fear in this life, believers? Joshua chapter 2. Let's begin in verse 1. It says this. Then Joshua, son of Nun. Secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me. I didn't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Let's keep our place right here in Joshua chapter 2. This was a tense night in the city of Jericho. I think that fear was present for a lot of people, including the king of Jericho. Now, he had clearly decided that he was going to oppose the invading Israelites and their God. All right, His mind was set. His rebellion against God was going to continue. But then, well, then he learns that some Israelite spies have invaded his seemingly impenetrable city. Now, the last thing that he needs is a weakness to be exposed by an invading force. Well, this threat had to be dealt with. So rest assured, The king of Jericho, he was was afraid. We're going to get confirmation of that in a few minutes. In fact, Rahab must have been afraid. I mean, she was harboring spies. She was betraying her countrymen, lying to the king's men, hoping that her deceit wouldn't be found out. This was a time of war. You can rest assured that if it had been found that she was hiding the spies, she would have been put to death. And soon we'll see why she took those risks. And then there were the spies. I was reading the story this week thinking to myself, those spies, they must have been sweating at this point. Not just because of the stalks of flax that they were laying underneath, but the fact that they had been found out. I mean, some spies they were. Not only did the king and his men know that they were in the city, but they had tracked them down to the exact place that they had taken refuge. In fact, I don't think we could blame the spies for being maybe a little worried at this point. Maybe even afraid. But rest assured, fear was present in the city of Jericho on this night. And maybe some of us have experienced fear in our lives recently. We may not be facing invading armies, but there are times where we feel afraid in life. And I think that as Christians, there are some common fears that we experience I think many of us as Christians experience fear when it comes to sharing the gospel and living out our faith. For example, we might fear sharing the gospel because we know that some people will reject us. We know that as a result we might lose relationships. That people might mock us. That they might bring up questions and objections we can't answer. Or that worst of all, they might harm us in some way. That we might be persecuted for our I think a lot of these fears are common and natural. The problem is that in those fears, many of us choose to stay silent, and then lost souls don't hear the gospel. Or I think it's common that many Christians fear what will happen if we live a life according to what Scripture actually tells us. We're afraid that people will think little of us, or that they'll think we're strange, or they won't want to be around us. So we feel those temptations. That temptation to push our faith into a little corner of our life reserved for Sunday mornings. We feel that temptation to blend in to the world or ignore what the world does the temptation to use the same foul language they do, to accept our society's sexual perversions and confusions, to stay silent on things like the sanctity of human life, to live in greed and gossip, because we feel that temptation that it would just be easier if we ignored or joined in what the world is doing. It would be a lot easier to do that than to actually live as a bold follower of Jesus Christ. And the truth is, it is dangerous to live righteously. The Bible tells us that it will be. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. We're told that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That scares us, doesn't it? You see, it's easy for fear to creep in. The problem is when we allow those fears to dictate how we live. When we allow the fear of rejection or ridicule or possible persecution to keep us silent and to keep us from living righteously, that's a problem. See, fear isn't the problem. Giving in to fear is. There's a story of a young soldier who was on the eve of his very first battle, and it was very obvious to everyone around him. He was scared. So a veteran came up to him and said, Kid, you're scared out of your mind. You're shaking in your boots. He said, why don't you stop being a coward? And the young soldier looked at that battle-hardened veteran and he said, I'm not a coward. He said, if you were half as scared as I am, you'd run away. You see, that young soldier realized fear didn't make him a coward. Giving into fear would have made him a coward. In Joshua chapter 2, I think that everyone was experiencing a measure of fear, just like we will at times. The question, believers, is whether we will respond to fear by living as cowardly Christians or courageous Christians. And I think that we need to hear what the spies heard next. So look at verse 8. It says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she, that's Rahab, Went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. This is how we know that even the king of Jericho was afraid. It's because everyone in the promised land was afraid you see while israel was escaping egypt crossing the red sea by god's power and even when they were wandering in the wilderness because of their rebellion the nations in the promised land they were taking note so those 10 rebellious spies in numbers chapter 13 they said we can't defeat these people they're stronger than us we could never do that all the while the people in the promised land were saying look at these people These Israelites, their God is doing things we've never seen before. And a whole generation of Israelites forfeited their opportunity to enter the promised land because they gave in to fear. Forty years later, Rahab reveals something that these two spies, Joshua and all of Israel, needed to understand and know. And it's that the Canaanites, they were the ones who were afraid. And let's understand, they didn't fear the Israelites because the Israelites... Were some superior fighting force. They had great military tactics and weaponry. None of those things were true. No, they feared Israel because they realized that only divine intervention could explain what this ragtag group of nomadic peoples were doing. You see, the Canaanites, they were religious people. Oh, they had lots of gods and idols. But none of their gods ever responded to their prayers or moved in power or did the things that the God of Israel was doing. No, 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 this was different. This was powerful because this was real. So the people in the land, they were shaking in their sandals. Rahab said that their hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed. And she said that it was because the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. The land was filled with fear. The inhabitants of the land, they knew what Israel was coming to do, and they knew that Israel's God had something to do with all of it. They were afraid, and they were afraid for good reason. See, they weren't going to be fighting your typical army. No, no, They were going to be fighting the God of heaven and earth, the one true God. You see, we all face fears in life. But knowing where you stand with God will often determine whether those fears are warranted or whether they should be rejected as outright lies. The Canaanites' fear was proper because they were standing in rebellion towards God. The question, though, was how are they going to respond to those fears? Let's see how Rahab responded. Look at verse 12. Rahab is speaking and she says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we'll treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now we're going to pause one more time in Joshua chapter 2 right here. Keep in mind, Rahab, she was afraid too. She said, our hearts melted in fear. The difference is that in her fear, she chose not to continue standing against God and his purposes. As our study continues, we're going to find that the majority of the Canaanites decided to continue rebelling against God. But Rahab chose to recognize him as the one true God. She believed that. And keep in mind, she didn't have all the information. She didn't have all the knowledge about God or his law or his covenants or his promises. But she had enough to put her faith in him. And she made a deal with the spies. She was willing to leave her fortified city, her people, risk her life for the spies. She was willing to risk her life by bringing her family into the loop on everything. Who knows how they were going to respond to this deal that she just made. But she was willing to do all this because Rahab recognized who the one true God was. While most of the Canaanites allowed their fear to lead them to cowardice and rebellion, Rahab allowed her fear to lead to faith. And we know that she had faith in God because she left everything behind to follow him. She left her country, her security, the way of life as she knew it, all to enter into this unknown group of people and follow a God that she knew very little about. But she knew that he was the only one worth serving. We're going to take a look at more of Rahab's story another time. For now, what I want us to understand is what I think Israel long needed to understand And it's that the ones who need to be truly afraid in this life are the ones who stand opposed to God. Those are the people who should fear. That is a dreadful place to stand. And woe to those who stand in it. Because a position such as that does not only make you ripe for God's judgment in this life, but it makes you deserving of his judgment after this life. Yet there is this open door for all people to come to him in faith for forgiveness and mercy, just like Rahab did. And for those of us who have done that, who have received that forgiveness and mercy, we need to understand we weren't called to live a life dictated by fear. Because we follow the God of all creation. Well, he's the God in heaven above and on the earth below. The God who saved our soul is far more powerful than any situation or enemy that we stand before. No hardship that our enemies bring should cause us to continue to live in fear because we can stand confidently in God's hands rather than succumbing to the fear of man. Let me give you a few scriptures here. A few scriptures to encourage you believers. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. It says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, by the way, that word has also been translated as cowardice. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, and love, self-control. Some of us might be familiar with that verse, but I want us to see what Paul then said in verse 8. He said, therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Believers, we need to stop living in a spirit of fear that makes us silent and sharing our faith. But rather, we need to live in a spirit of love and power and self-control. And let's not be ashamed. David said in Psalm 27, verse 1, he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid Believers, people will advance against us in this life. The world will oppose us. But if God is for us, is there anything or anyone we truly ought to fear? Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Church, the God who saved our soul as believers, he's for us. So we don't need to live in fear. Fear is is only fitting for those who stand opposed to God. For those of us walking hand in hand with our Savior, we have reason for great hope and boldness and strength as we live by God's power. Even when fear comes. Let's finish Joshua chapter 2 together, verse 17. It says, Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land... You've tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you've brought your father and mother, your brothers, all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Remember, the king of Jericho and all the Canaanites, they they needed to fear Israel because Israel was God's instrument in punishing the unbelief and unrepentant sin that was in the land. But Rahab, the spies in Israel, they didn't need to live in fear because they were standing with God. So they could stand firmly on his promises, his goodness, and his power. God would deliver Jericho and the land into Israel's hand just as God would deliver Rahab safely through the coming battle. So they could be bold even in the midst of fear. And believers, so can we. It's true that there will be people in our lives who have chosen to set themselves up as enemies of God and enemies of God's people. But Jesus has said in His Word that we're supposed to love and pray for those people. And as we saw earlier, He said that we don't need to fear those who can harm the body and nothing else. Of course, we should also keep in mind that we do have a spiritual enemy in this life, believers. That The devil and his minions, ever opposed to God and God's people, will do anything and everything they can to cause us to live lives useless for God's kingdom. But take heart. God has promised in Ephesians chapter 6 that his power is available for us to stand against the devil, our spiritual enemy. God's strength is available to us. No matter what enemy we face in this life, God is with us. So We don't need to live as cowards. Not before people and not before our enemy, the devil. So again, believers, whom shall we fear? Should we fear people who will attack God's people, who will attack God's family, who will persecute us? Should we fear people? Should we fear our enemy, the devil? And the answer is no, because our God is far greater. But when we live in fear, we become defeated quitters. Uh, We refuse to share the gospel. We stay silent in our faith. And we fail to realize God's promises and embrace them in our lives. When we live in fear of our spiritual enemy, we're quick to give in to temptation, discouragement, and doubt. We start to believe that we can't overcome that sin or we can't endure that trial. We can't grow in our faith. We start to believe that God could never use us. Remember, fear can paralyze us. So when fear comes, remember this truth believer, we don't belong to fear, we belong to God. We belong to God, and we always need to remember that. So when fear comes, remember God's goodness, his power, remember the things that he's done in the past, choose to trust in his promises, and choose to stand boldly for him, knowing that he'll be with you every step of the way. So as we prepare to close, for those of us who can say with confidence that we do belong to God, I would encourage all of us to go to the Lord in prayer and bring him any of those fears that we have been facing. You know, the fears that are keeping us from sharing the gospel with that person in our life that we know needs to hear it. Those fears that are keeping us from living righteously because we're embarrassed to do that. Some of us have fears that we need to bring before the Lord in prayer today. And we need to lay those at His feet. We need to ask Him for His strength and His boldness. And then we need to choose to live for Him. So during our invitation song, I'd encourage you believers to go to the Lord in prayer. and Lay those things at His feet. Maybe you need to find another believer that's in here and pray beside them. Maybe you want to come to the front. Pray at the altar. Pray with me. But if you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior... Please understand that that means you cannot say that you belong to God. And if Jesus isn't your Savior, I realize that you may not know much about God. Maybe you don't know a lot about his law, his word, his commands, and that's okay. Rahab didn't know a lot either. But here are some of the things that you need to know. The Bible is clear that you need to know that all of us have sinned, including you. We've broken God's commands. So what we do when we lie and cheat and steal and lust and take God's name in vain. And on and on the list goes. And because of those sins, we deserve punishment. The Bible says if our sins are not taken care of in this life, we'll be separated forever from God in a place called hell. That is the ultimate punishment for our sins. But in His great love for you, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus died on the cross to take the wrath and the punishment and the penalty we deserve for sin. After he died on the cross, Jesus was buried, and then three days later, powerfully rose from the dead, proving that he is no mere man. Now, he's the son of God. He's the savior, and he's the only one who can forgive us. The Bible says in Romans ten nine that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And friend, if you have never made that decision. We want you to have the opportunity to do that before you leave. You can come find me during the invitation time. We can pray together, or you can give your life to Jesus right now. Would you pray with me? If that's you, if you know that Jesus isn't your Savior, but you believe that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead, friend, you might not know all the other details of Scripture. That's okay. But if you know that Jesus died for you, if you know that you need him to save you and you're ready to give him your life, you can do that right now. The Bible says whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So go to the Lord in prayer. Admit to him that you know that you're a sinner, but that you believe he died on the cross for you and that he rose from the dead. And friend, give him your life. He'll forgive you of all your sins give you eternal life and save you from hell and bring you into a relationship with Him. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anyone joining us who's never made that decision, who's still not sure, I pray that they'd be willing to talk to someone before they leave this place today. Because there is no decision that is more important than giving one's life to Jesus Christ. For those of us who have done that, Father, please help us, because there are so many times in this life when we become afraid. We might not even realize that we're afraid until we start to notice that we're, we're being silent about our faith. We're not living for you. And the truth is, sometimes it's because we're scared of what the world will say or do. But you didn't call us to live a life of fear. You give us a spirit of fear, of cowardice. You've given us everything that we need to live lives of boldness and strength. So help us to be a church that is bold. Help us to be believers that every time we step out these doors, we find someone to share the gospel with. Help us to choose to stand on the truth of your word and live it out in our lives. And help us to be there for each other. To comfort each other strengthen one another, and encourage our fellow believers. Father, thank you for always going with us, no matter what we encounter. I pray that we would be a church that pleases you in all things, that would grow in our faith. Father, we love you. But every day, I pray that you would remind us how much more you love us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.